Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cover 2 podcast on the Cleveland Browns. I'm joined today by Camera Repository Browns beat writer Steve Dorschuk. This is Dan Kadar from Ohio.com, of course. Steve, the Browns are coming off a 21-21 tie on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers at home in a game that was filled with rain and turnovers by the Steelers and questionable play by the Browns offense and whole thing but still it's a tie it's not a loss it's the best start for the Browns to a season since 2004 believe it or not so Steve let me ask you this to start the show this week it's a tie do you do you look at this game as a good game or a bad game for the Browns I look at uh, this Dan as an excellent outcome for the Browns and I know it's not macho to say that a tie is uh, excellent. Hmm. And I know that uh, after the game and uh, in, in the course of uh, uh, the first part of the day and uh, talking to friends and family who, uh, who tuned in, there's a lot of retching about uh, uh, you can only, only a win will do. And I don't think that's the case at all here because uh, as yesterday's overtime was unfolding and as the Browns failed on their first possession of overtime, and as the Steelers were driving uh, uh, into Brown's uh, territory, or toward Brown's territory at least, uh, the, the thought that would occur to me, or, or pretty much anybody I would imagine who's been watching the expansion era since it began uh, 20 seasons ago, was that uh, I've seen this game a thousand times, and it always ends in a loss. So at that point, I'm uh, thinking to myself, if somehow a defense that has done a lot of good things all day can somehow make another stop and somehow this game can turn into a tie, it didn't look like the offense was going to be good enough for it to turn into a win. That, that a tie, coming off an 0-16 season, against a team that was 13-3 and last year, would be a good out- outcome. I call it excellent now because the alternative of a loss would have been terrible. Uh, of course, a win which is right there in your pocket if you uh, don't have a Miles Garrett penalty on the Joe Schobert return of a fumble and you're kicking a field goal that's a 25-yard field goal or so instead of uh, a 42 or 43-yard in the ring. That would have been a fantastic outcome, obviously. But I still look at this as an excellent income and infinitely better than than, uh, a loss, which we've seen... uh, what are the Browns in now, Dan? They're in a four and a four and a four, they were in a forty four and forty nine slump. It's just not just zero and sixteen. It's an incredibly epic slump, uh, and the, the the number that sticks in my mind is four and forty nine. So a tie versus four and forty nine is excellent. You know, Steve, I tend to agree, and I I know some people and some journalists and some fans kind of disagree with that. The 12 or 13 hours after the game that we're recording this that it's you know it's a it's a bad outcome but this is a game against one of probably the five or six best teams in the whole league that no one was expecting the Browns to win at all or frankly some people didn't think it would be competitive whatsoever so I, I don't think a tie is a terrible thing obviously a win is great and the like you mentioned the Miles Garrett penalty on the Schobert return that was that was cringy I think for the Browns and some other stuff that we'll get into from the game where they it could have been potentially a win but 
at the end of the day, it's a tie and it's not a loss. And that for a team that is coming off one and thirty-one the last two years, I would say it was a, a slight bit of progress. But Steve, I, I got to tell you that the game I thought it started a little weird, in, in so much as the the offensive line. And I, I want to start there with us this week because you you covered the offensive line closely. There's a story up on Desmond Harrison on our sites today, cantonrep.com slash browns that you wrote. You know, it was announced on Friday that Harrison would start. I, I don't think he played that great. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on Harrison? My thoughts on uh, Harrison are that uh, it was a bad decision to start an undrafted rookie was undrafted uh, for some good reasons. It was uh, was a bad decision to start him when you had real alternatives. And the alternative that I think would have worked best would have been to go with a veteran player who has been in uh, 48 NFL games as a starter and has enough pedigree to have been a number two overall pick. Of course, I'm talking about Greg Robinson. I can see that uh, they were apprehensive as they got through the preseason with Joel Batonio switching from uh, his familiar position of left guard to the brand-new position, at least at the NFL level for him, the brand-new NFL position of left tackle. I can see that they were apprehensive about him playing a left tackle and the raw rookie uh, Austin Corbett having to contend with uh, Cameron Hayward in his first NFL game. Mm-hmm. So that made sense. That made sense, even though it was uh, kind of unwieldy to ask him to uh, flop over there for the whole preseason, Batonio to flop over for the whole preseason, and flop back on the fly like that. They still had the alternative of, of using a veteran at left tackle. And the fact that they didn't, even though they love Harrison's talent, and even though I remember John Dorsey's right-hand man, Alonzo Highsmith, saying uh, during an appearance in Canton shortly after the draft that uh, Desmond Harrison was the most talented tackle to come out uh, of college this past season, even though he wasn't wasn't drafted, and that goes to the reasons, you know, some some off-field and on-field uh, things that caused him not to be tra- drafted. But even though he's got all this talent, you know, he's uh, super raw and... Uh, you could have speculated that he wasn't going to be ready. And then after uh, he false started on his first series uh, in the NFL and had a subsequent uh, false start and uh, had some subsequent uh, plays that uh, caused some real problems for Terod Taylor and influenced the game, it became obvious that he wasn't ready. And at that point, uh, the conclusion was that in, uh, in hindsight, Hugh Jackson should have had the foresight to go with the veteran. Greg Robinson. Yeah, Harrison. I mean, you, you can obviously see that he's really athletic, and he he really likes to move pass rushers around the outside real far. But the, the penalties were were pretty rough. Um, the the run blocking from from the left side I thought was pretty bad throughout the game. And on the right side, you know, I, th- I thought the right side was doing a pretty good job of, of run blocking, but they couldn't pass block. It was a really strange combination, I thought. What did you think of Chris Hubbard, the right tackle that the Browns signed this offseason? I, 
I thought he gave up a few sacks and just generally allowed a lot of pressure throughout the game. What is your assessment of him? My assessment of Hubbard would be that there's still a, probably a pretty good chance that Dorsey and his people were right in assessing him as an upgrade over last year's right tackle, uh, Sean Coleman. Mm. But in, in this game, the people uh, from Pittsburgh, who had every reason to know him extremely well and had every reason to know how to uh, and play him uh, down to a T and how to beat him to a T, you know, uh, he was a Pittsburgh Steeler for the last, uh, last four years. So it was going to be a matter of a young veteran who uh, has never started very much and is going to be nervous in his uh, first full season as a starter going against an entire staff of deep thinkers who are uh, honing in on uh, his every nuance and are going to know uh, how to beat him and how to confuse him. And um, Watt uh, really got the better. It, was, it wasn't just Watt getting the, the better of Hubbard. It was uh, Watt getting uh, the, the better of the, that entire right side mm-hmm. uh, of the Browns line. And they, they uh, moved Watt around, and, uh, and, and to a large extent, uh, he beat Hubbard. Uh, and to uh, a, a significant extent, the, the scheme was beating uh, that side of the line. But, yeah, it, uh, it, was, a, it was a terrible uh, debut for Hubbard. But uh, I uh, would say that I'm uh, willing for my own money to, uh, to flush that one and see how he does going forward. But on the other side, I'm, the, 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 that would be in contrast to the other side, Dan, that uh, I'm not uh, not ready to take any leap of faith on uh, on Desmond Harrison. I am ready to take a leap of faith on Hubbard. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I think that's the the way the Browns have to look at this here and, and see what they can do. Um, moving on beyond the offensive line, you know, the offense in general, Tyrod Taylor was 15 of 40, which is not good in the NFL. 40 passes is kind of weird in the first place, if you ask me. Uh, Jarvis Landry had seven catches for 106 yards. That that was pretty all right. Carlos Hyde, I thought, was a little up and down. The Josh Gordon thing, where Hugh Jackson was adamant throughout the week that he wouldn't start Josh Gordon, and then Josh Gordon starts, and then he leaves the game for almost the rest of the first quarter, I think. Then he only has three targets, period. Steve, I just thought this, the whole offense was really a, a head-scratcher. I mean, what, what's going on with the offense? We're only one weekend, and I'm, I'm confused by it. I don't think uh, uh, it, 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 it was a confusing look, and the Browns played confused, Dan. But uh, for me, it's not confusing that they would have looked that way, that they would have looked choppy and inefficient. And to me, it starts with the offensive line. And they've, uh, they've moved around the left tackle. They flopped uh, the left guard to left tackle and back to left guard. Um, move over to, uh, to right guard. And Zeitler was, uh, didn't play at all in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hubbard, uh, the, the Steelers had a great scattering report on him, and he was in the first game as a Brown in his first season as a full-time, full-time starter. So to me, that's uh, not a messy situation. It's just a... Uh, uh, a, a lot of a really daunting reality that they have to get on top of, and they just didn't get on top of uh, that reality in the opener. And uh, it was likely that they weren't going to be able to get on top of it. So it started there. But then you go to Terod Taylor, uh, a brand-new uh, quarterback uh, with uh, a lot on his plate, uh, making his first start as a, as a Brown. 
and one of the worst uh, weather games that uh, I've seen up there. Not as bad as some. I've seen some some uh, blizzard games that uh, were worse, but uh, this was probably as bad a rain game as, as as I've seen up there and covering the team since 99. And uh, he, uh, he just... Uh, the the um, fifteen of forty was was miserable. So, but let's just I mean you could it's a complicated discussion and there are other reasons, but the, those would be the two big ones I think Dan uh, about why the offense uh, looked uh, what was the term uh, you used uh, confusing uh, I think confusing yeah okay that that's a, that's a good term and uh, it, it was the the confusion uh, in in my view would start with the offensive line and extend. Uh, and include on an equal basis Taylor. Yeah, it, it, I mean, everything you could really throw as a wrench into the offense was kind of thrown, whether included. So, Steve, last question on the offense, and we'll, we'll talk about the defense, and then we'll close it out for the week um, or for today's podcast. Yeah. Are you on Baker Mayfield watch yet? Yeah, I was on Baker Mayfield watch uh, in uh, late April when they drafted him. Simply from the standpoint, the trend in the NFL these days is if you think a guy is good enough to be drafted one or number one overall, you play him, uh, play him right away. And uh, uh, the oddity with, with the Browns would be that uh, Hugh Jackson uh, goes all the way back to uh, 2008 as the quarterback's coach of, of Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's not as good a talent uh, as, uh, as Baker Mayfield. And Joe Flacco wasn't uh, one-third uh, or maybe even one-tenth as ready uh, for the NFL as uh, Baker Mayfield is coming out of Delaware. Yet Joe Flacco, with you uh, Jackson as his position coach, started from day one for the uh, 2008, I think it was, uh, Baltimore, uh, Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens went 11-5 and five that year. And then there are uh, plenty of other examples of guys who played right away. Uh, let's go to Carson Wentz as, uh, as a key one lately. Number two overall pick starting right away. And the whole organization benefiting from that process. Mm-hmm. So I was on Baker Mayfield watch from uh, from April on, and uh, I am now. Respect to Taylor and understand uh, the whole nine yards of what they're thinking and starting a veteran uh, and letting uh, Baker chill for a while. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm on uh, Baker Mayfield watch. I am too. Um, and I'll be interested to see what what happens here as the weeks go on and. If Taylor continues, I, I think he won't be a 37.5% completion guy for the whole season, but that 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 thing is going to be something to watch every single week. Uh, Steve, moving on to the defense, somehow, someway, Miles Garrett, the number one pick, the freaky athlete who looks like a superhero, he exceeded kind of, I think, what everybody expected of him in this game. He had... I think six tackles. He had a couple sacks. He forced at least one fumble. Uh, you could argue maybe he forced two. Um, he, boy, Steve, he looks special, doesn't he? Dan, uh, in terms of exceeding expectations, I think I expect my number one overall picks to be able to stand on the uh, flyover jets and uh, you know kind of surf over the stadium while we're standing <laughs> on the jet, and then uh, you know parachute down and do what he did uh, sack wise. But uh, now we've seen plenty of uh, number one overall picks bomb, so when they actually fulfill the expectations, that's fantastic. So, yeah, to see him uh, uh, fulfill the expectations with uh, by, by turning the game around with those big plays is exactly what you want. But I think there's a real important fix that is needed uh, within Miles Garrett, and that important fix is 
he's a little bit nonchalant and a little bit too sure of himself. Mm. That goes with being the age of whatever he is, 22. And I think some of that stuff uh, uh, probably seeps into the reasons behind uh, him getting, I think it was three penalties yesterday. And obviously the, uh, the last one uh, cost him the ball game. The uh, uh, Schobert uh, returned it, uh, I forget where it was uh, off the top of my head, but it was right around the 10. going to be a pretty easy field goal. Uh, if I would have been the Browns, I would have tried to uh, run it uh, once or twice to, to either uh, punch it even closer or get it in the end zone. But Miles Garrett getting a penalty on that Joe Schobert return was uh, a colossal mistake. Uh, and and, and I, don't, I don't know how much I should be busting Garrett. I'd like, I'd like to see that... Uh, that replay one more time to to make sure that uh, it was just a, a stupid penalty and not uh, a uh, borderline blown call by the official. But uh, if if uh, if it was a legit penalty, to me that goes to a Garrett uh, needing to grow up a little bit and uh, be uh, more mature and more disciplined. Mm. Fair enough, and I, I think the penalty itself they they showed it several times on the broadcast. I. I think it's a penalty you can call. Uh, I, I just think it would, it's just as easily a penalty that you can kind of dismiss because the play was basically over when it happened. Schober was you know, just about out of bounds, you know, and there was a light shove by Miles Garrett. But um, he, he he's a good player, uh, but it's a good point you make about the penalty stuff. What else on the defense kind of got your attention, Steve? Denzel Ward had a couple of interceptions there, one really good one. Um, which equals this amount of total interceptions that he had at Ohio State, which is a pretty crazy stat. Um, Jabril Peppers wasn't playing in a different zip code in this game, uh, wholly compared to last season. Um, the, the run defense was kind of not there all the time. Emmanuel Ogba played a, a small amount of snaps, I thought. What's your impression on the rest of the defense beyond Miles Garrett? The one uh, name that uh, really sticks out to me, Dan, in terms of the defense, isn't even on the Browns. His name is James Conner. Mm. There's no way on earth that a second-year pro with very limited experience who wasn't a super high pick, I think uh, Conner was a, a third-rounder by the Steelers last year, no way on earth that James Conner should rush for 135 yards under any circumstances. Uh, but he did, and uh, that, as much as anything, was uh, you know uh, kind of damning for the Browns' uh, defense, and as much as anything, cost the Browns uh, the game. And uh, there's an explanation for that, though. I think the Browns' uh, weakness on defense is uh, on the defensive line. They um, decided that Danny Shelton uh, wasn't for them, and I wasn't uh, a super big uh, Danny Shelton fan. I'm kind of wondering if uh, Shelton might have been uh, better uh, than what they uh, threw out there yesterday, and it might have, might have been uh, a factor in them being able to prevent uh, um, a, a relative nobody, Connor, from having that kind of day. And I'm also um, puzzled a bit by the fact that uh, Jamie Meter, a good run stopper, mm-hmm. started the first three preseason games and then uh, then got cut. And that uh, Coley and, and it was injured uh, most of the preseason. Uh, you know, you're throwing out a guy coming off uh, an injury, and and you're playing without, uh, you know, guys who have had a little continuity in Greg Williams' scheme. So that that was a thought that uh, um, they have a problem there. 
and it didn't need to be perhaps and arguably as big a problem as it was that was the interior of the defensive line yeah that's a great call it goes back to that last week of or when the cuts happened a couple of weeks ago um it, the the defensive line cuts were surprising and i think like you said they kind of proved themselves here steve anything else to to close out week one for the cleveland browns probably uh, this dan uh, terod taylor's not that bad the uh 15 out of 40 looked it up the only the only other time that uh, that he's been uh, under 50 I don't have it right in front of me but I was doing some research on this this morning but uh, that's either the worst or the second worst completion percentage uh, either the first or the second time he's been under 50 percent and all of his what it was about he started the uh, 43 games with the Bell, 44 games, and he's only been under uh, 50 uh, one or two times, including yesterday. So uh, I'm, I'm willing to overlook that performance in uh, a real bad rain day and uh, and take a, a real hard look at him uh, down at the uh, the dome uh, situation hmm. in New Orleans. So uh, since they they're already down this road with Terod Taylor, I think they need to stay on this road uh, a while longer. I think the road. Uh, has a chance to bear a little bit of fruit. Good luck doing it against uh, Drew Brees after he scored uh, 40 points last week. I don't know if Terod Taylor's uh, good for uh, more than 40 points, but uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how much better he will look uh, going forward the next two or three games. I'm pretty sure he will look uh, significantly better. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it'd be strange to see him look worse than 15 out of 40 because that was a, a pretty interesting stat line. But that is going to do it for today's show on Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns here from Gatehouse Media, Ohio. Again, Steve Dorschuk is the beat writer for the Canton Repository for the Browns. You can find all of his stuff over at cantonrep.com slash browns. Make sure you're following Steve on Twitter. He's at sdorschukrep. See, I got that right, right? Twitter account? sdorschukrep. Conventional German spelling of uh, Dorschuk. So good luck with that. <laughs> there we go. And on Thursday, I'll be back here with Nate Ulrich. We'll be looking ahead more to that Saints game on Sunday. And Nate's stuff can be found at ohio.com slash browns. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>